TED Audio Collective. This is the TED Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Today, a TED Talk from Ellen Trackman. As both an attorney and a writer, Ellen focuses on the legal issues surrounding technologies to treat infertility, like in vitro fertilization and egg freezing. Ellen makes the case that while reproductive technology has helped so many people start families, the laws lag behind the advancements. And that's caused some unthinkable embryo mix-ups and thorny lawsuits. And IVF isn't the only area where medical technology is outpacing the law. I'll get into that more deeply after the talk. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab investing themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Before his death in California in 1991, a man named William Kane wrote a letter to the children from his first marriage and to his fiancée, Deborah. It read, I address this to my children because although I have only two of you, Everett and Katie, it may be that Deborah decides, as I hope she will, to have a child by me after my death. I have been assiduously generating sperm samples for that eventuality. If she does, then this letter is for my posthumous offspring as well, with the thought that I have loved you in my dreams, even though I never got to see you born. What happened after William Kane's death was a lawsuit that would forever change the law. His ex-wife and adult children argued that Deborah should not be allowed to use the sperm samples. They should be destroyed. And a trial court agreed with them. But Deborah appealed, and a California appellate court agreed with her, finding that William Kane and all of us have the right to use our DNA after our death 
even to have children. I'm sure everyone in this room has let their loved ones know if they can use their DNA to have a kid after they die, right? Okay, probably not yet. But what happens if we don't tell anyone, if we don't write it down? And what happens when a couple creates embryos together for use down the road, then divorces, or eggs and sperm are mixed up, or an embryo transferred to the wrong woman? Because all of these things have happened. Thanks to advances in technology, there are more ways to try to have a baby. But the law has lagged behind. And because the law hasn't kept up with the technology, it's hurting people. Families trying to conceive, donors and surrogates trying to help them, and the children born into these wild situations. And one day it could affect you or your loved ones. I'm an attorney, probably not surprising by my knowledge of egg, sperm, and the law. I started my career in the investment management group of a large international firm forming hedge funds. At parties, when asked what I did for a living, my answer was generally followed by glances around the room for someone more interesting to talk to. But that time, I was surrounded by people thinking about having babies, from my housemates who were a gay couple to my sister and her husband struggling with infertility. And I learned about assisted reproductive technology law. I had the chance to read through an egg donation agreement, and it blew my mind. <laughs> so many questions I had never thought of. What if an egg donor goes through a single retrieval procedure and has 20 eggs retrieved? Not a crazy number. Could those eggs be donated to 20 different families? Could each of those families have a child genetically related to her? What about disclosure and future contact? Would she know the children? Would the children know each other? I was fascinated. Way more interesting than hedge funds. <laughs> But the law in this area will leave your head spinning. Even the definition of what is an embryo is inconsistent and contradictory from state to state. In Louisiana, an embryo is defined as a juridical person. What's that? Even the lawyers aren't really sure what a juridical person is. But we do know that it means that embryos stored in tanks at negative 321 degrees Fahrenheit have the right to sue people. <laughs> And don't think they won't do it. <laughs> Last year, celebrity actress Sofia Vergara of modern family fame and my favorite, Smurfs, was sued by her embryos. She had gone through fertility treatment with her ex-fiancé, Nick Loeb, when they were a couple. They had two remaining embryos from their IVF process stored in a clinic in Los Angeles. The consent forms they signed were clear. Neither could use the embryos without the other's consent. At this point, Vergara had moved on, married the actor from Magic Mike, Joe Manganiello. She did not want those embryos being used. Loeb, on the other hand, was doing everything in his power to win rights to the embryos. After losing in California court, he formed a trust for the embryos in Louisiana. He even named the embryos Emma and Isabella, 
and had them file a lawsuit against Vergara, demanding that they be brought to birth. Ultimately, the lawsuit was dismissed for lack of jurisdiction, meaning Louisiana wasn't the right place to hear the case. The embryos were in Los Angeles, California. Neither Loeb nor Vergara lived in Louisiana. But given Louisiana's definition of embryos as people, it would have been fascinating and concerning if the court had been able to rule on the case. Of course, these were celebrities, so we got to read about their case in the news. But it could happen to anyone who's gone through IVF. By contrast to the idea that embryos are people, other laws and judges treat embryos as property. In Texas, a probate judge was forced to determine the legal properties of 11 embryos when a couple was murdered, leaving behind their embryos and their two-year-old son. The judge determined that embryos have value and therefore were property and should go to the couple's heir, the two-year-old, to determine what to do with them when he turned 18. That's a heavy responsibility for an 18-year-old. Does he transfer them to a surrogate and raise his genetic siblings? Does he donate them to others? Does he forget about them entirely? Not likely that his parents were thinking about these questions when they formed those embryos. Aside from struggling with the definitions of eggs, sperm, embryos, and who can use them, the law especially struggles when there are mix-ups in the lab. In 2018, a woman in New York, pregnant with twins, was surprised at her ultrasound appointment when her obstetrician congratulated her on having two boys. You see, she had gone through IVF in California, and there her embryos had been tested and shown to be two female embryos. She called the clinic, but they said, don't worry about it. Ultrasounds are frequently inaccurate. You're having two girls but she gave birth to two boys. And they didn't look like her or her husband. They did genetic testing, and she was not genetically related, nor was her husband. In fact, the twins weren't even related to each other. (laughs) Across the country, a woman in California got a call from her fertility clinic. It had been about nine months since she'd gone through a failed embryo transfer. She thought she was being asked to come in for routine testing, but was met with a room full of doctors, lawyers, mental health professionals that told her there had been a mistake. Her embryo had been transferred to another patient, and her genetic son had been born in New York, one of the twins. A judge in New York determined that the birth parents were not the legal parents of the children. Instead, The woman in California and her husband were legal parents to one of the twins, and another couple entirely were legal parents to the other twin because they were the genetic parents. But a similar thing happened in Italy with the exact opposite result. There, two embryos were transferred to the wrong patient, and a judge determined that the birth parents were the legal parents to the children and the genetic parents had no legal rights at all to their own genetic children. It's time for the law to change. 
what can we do besides advocating for better laws? We can think carefully about our own reproductive material. Every adult knows that they should have a will, even if they haven't done it yet. A will lets those we leave behind know what to do with our assets and our possessions, but most wills don't include an invaluable asset, our reproductive material. And that leaves loved ones confused and facing inconsistent laws. For instance, in 2019, a West Point cadet named Peter Zhu was in a tragic ski accident. His family begged the hospital and then a judge to let them retrieve his sperm. They explained to the judge that their, their son had always wanted to have children, and moreover, it was of vital cultural importance to them to continue their family line. The judge was persuaded. He issued the order to allow the son's sperm to be retrieved and later used for conception purposes. But here in Colorado, the law is not the same. In the last few years, at least twice it's happened where a man was taken to the hospital before his death and the request by a spouse to have his sperm retrieved was denied because he didn't have the consent on file with the hospital. But in another case, where a man died suddenly and was taken to the coroner, his spouse's request to have his sperm retrieved was granted because the coroner is not subject to the same policies and procedures as a hospital. So, if you think you might allow someone to have a child with your DNA after your death, or you don't want them to, tell them. Write it down. Grab a napkin, put it on a napkin, send a text, no matter how strange that text may look. <laughs> it happens more often than you think. We think more carefully about organ donation, but this is just as important. I bet you didn't think you need to include this in your will. The world has changed. The technology is here, and it will only keep advancing. And this isn't the only area where technology is outpacing the law. We need to challenge ourselves to think carefully about what these innovations mean to ourselves, to our families, to our children, and to future children, whether they're genetically related to us or not. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
Hey, listeners, we're back. As you heard Ellen Trackman say, it's important to start thinking about what will happen when we die. Confronting our mortality can be scary, but surprisingly, also can be really life-affirming. And planning for death doesn't have to and really shouldn't start at an old age. It's helpful to start thinking about end-of-life decisions when we're young, and then revisit the topic as your circumstances change. Creating a will to determine what happens to your possessions is just one step in end-of-life planning. Advanced care planning often involves legal documentation that clarifies a person's treatment wishes and individual desires. It also includes assigning a healthcare proxy to make decisions on your behalf if you no longer can. Ideally, this is a person who knows you well, understands your values and priorities, and then is able to set aside their own wishes to be an advocate for you. For example, if a patient is facing a long-term chronic illness or a terminal disease, completing an advanced directive increases the chances that their wishes will be respected. Advanced care planning also reduces the burden on family members to make these decisions on your behalf. All too often, family members end up in disagreements about big things like types of treatment, life support, or resuscitation. These are painful, excruciatingly difficult decisions. It often pulls families apart, causing risks that can take years or decades to heal. And this is something I've seen countless times as a physician, when patients have thought through their own wishes for end of life spoken to their loved ones about them, and then assigned a trusted decision maker or the healthcare proxy to make decisions on their behalf if they aren't able. Everyone, including their doctors, are more prepared when that time comes. But as important as advanced care planning is, it sometimes doesn't matter. And that's because just like in vitro fertilization, every state has its own way of codifying the law. For example, in 2020, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, many people, both young and old, found themselves having end-of-life conversations, and many set out to complete an advanced care directive document. But most states require these directives to be witnessed in order to be valid, and only a handful of states allow the witnessing to take place remotely. Other differences include the acceptance of digital signatures and e-notarization. On top of the state differences, there are so many other opportunities for complications. Patients change their mind about their documented preferences over time. That's normal. Clinicians, family members, or surrogates may disagree with a loved one's preference, or even a treatment may not be available. All these complications have led some to question the value of advanced care planning documents. Dr. R. Sean Morrison, the Chair of Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine, at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, says that decades of research demonstrate that advanced care planning doesn't work. Instead of asking patients to make decisions about hypothetical scenarios in the future, the medical community should be focused and trained on helping them make difficult decisions in the moment. So while the controversy and confusion around written directives will undoubtedly take some time to sort out, Experts agree that it's a good idea to appoint someone to make medical decisions on your behalf, should you not be able to. And regardless of how you decide to plan for the end, the most important thing you can do is start thinking about and talking about what you want it to look like for you. For some, the best place to start is by asking yourself, 
What matters most to you in your life right now? And if time were short, how would you want to spend it? After all, thinking about your death starts with reflecting on what a good life is and what living well means to you. Then speak with loved ones and your care providers. Consider potential scenarios and make decisions that are right for you. And remember, this isn't meant to be a one-time plan or conversation. It can always change, and it's really meant to evolve with you over time as your life and your circumstances change. And if you don't want to do it for yourself, look at it as a gift that you're giving to the people you love. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media and fact-checked by Ted. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Grace Rubenstein, Maria Lagis, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.